chapter 5. Today we conclude a series that we've been in for our guest entitled Stand. Peter writing to Christians, uh, telling them to get ready, persecution is here, and we've got to stand. We've got to stand uh, on our faith. We've got to stand on the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that uh, he will take care of his own. Amen? And I praise the Lord for that. Now, here's a hard one to comprehend. You ready? Next Sunday begins Advent. Now, you'll say, Advent goes good. We didn't even do that growing up in the church I grew up in, preacher. Neither did I. But we have come to grow to love uh, the themes of each Sunday leading up to the birth of Christ. So you're going to hear, beginning next Sunday, in both services from different people, uh, a special theme uh, about a candle we're going to light and what that's going to represent for that given Sunday over uh, the next few weeks. A year ago, we were hearing from the experts that were telling us that around Thanksgiving, around Christmas, you shouldn't get together with your families. That, in essence, we're telling you not to get together with your families. And many of us said, you're not going to tell us to do anything. And we got together, and, and uh, I looked out over our congregation in November. I thought I was Superman. Renee and I came down with COVID. I had no symptoms a year ago. Would not have known I was sick had I not been tested. Uh, but Renee was a little different. She felt different things that maybe some of you have wrestled with. They told us that uh, we would need to be very careful. And I want, I, want to, I, I want to make a statement that I want everyone to hear me say. We all want to be healthy and nobody wants to be sick. Amen? But here we are a year later, and now we're beginning to hear the cautions again that we need to be very, very careful over the holidays when we get together. Folks, the Word of God this morning, I believe, helps us answer the question, how can we have a healthy holiday? How can we have a healthy holiday? I'm not just talking about physical health this morning. I'm talking about spiritual health. Because Peter has been writing to the believer. And this morning, listen carefully, he addresses the leader, the pastor. And healthy churches need a healthy pastor. And healthy churches need healthy people. And healthy staff. And healthy leaders. And I believe when we look at 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning, that we'll understand some things that will help us as we look at the days ahead. Now, these are exciting days, are they not? Uh, Thursday. Judy kicked out over 600 personal invitations to the elementary students at Camden Elementary to take home to their families that simply said, maybe you don't know what you're going to do for Thanksgiving. We have an option. And I, have a, I, I just believe that we're going to hear back from some of those families uh, before Thursday. And the meal that you provide this Thursday might be a great blessing to somebody who's wondering today what they're going to do. Now, keep in mind, this meal is not just for 
the outside community. If you're here today and you're saying, Brother Greg, I think that would be a blessing to my family or my friends. What do I need to do? Just put your information on that tear out in your bulletin. Drop it in the offering plate. And you'll be included. And you, you'll be part of that. Because that's what this is for. And I'm grateful for it. Listen, healthy churches. That, healthy churches will, will give you and I a healthy holiday as a believer. Because we're recognizing that healthy churches are made up of healthy people, healthy Christians. And healthy churches have healthy leadership. So, Lord, this morning... I recognize when, that when I preach about a preacher, I'm preaching about myself. And I realize I've got a lot of work to do. So I pray that anything that would be self-indulgent in this message, God, you would just cleanse me from saying But I also recognize that your, your, your word needs preached and proclaimed. So help us take a look at what it means to be healthy for the holidays. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I begin in verse, verse 1, chapter 5. I'm going to read the first four verses. Peter writes, The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Chapter 5 is good counsel, and it is a godly prescription, and it's a prescription for the church to get healthy. Now, folks, years ago, when I first became a pastor, the shelves of bookstores were lined with how to grow a church, how to do this. It's almost like if you followed this prescription, you automatically would grow a strong, healthy church. Uh, one that probably was the bestseller was Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Church. But Rick Warren even said, be careful, don't try to be a duplicate of what we're doing in California because this isn't the same context. And he was right. But I have a feeling when we look at the Word of God for directions and for the prescription, that it's exactly what we need. It's not what somebody thinks it says or, or what somebody has commentated on it about, but it's actually the Word of God. And there are three words that I want to draw your attention to at the beginning this morning when we think about church health that deal with the leader, that deal with the pastor. There are three descriptive words. And the first one is the word elder or elder. It's the word presbyteros. It generally refers to a fully mature man. Now you can, you can define that however you want to define it. But the truth is, being 60 years old, I know some 60-year-old babies. Somebody say amen. Help me. And I know some that may have been saved for a long time, but just haven't shown very much spiritual. Are you with me? A friend of mine named Doug Dunham, some of you might know Doug, he went yesterday to uh, the town, I, I don't know if it's in Hickory, Indiana, but it's where the old movie Hoosiers is made. Uh, 
the, the school was kicked. Somebody shake your head. You watch Murph help me here, okay? Uh, and they brought together the old team. Now, that movie, I don't know, it, it came out in the 80s, maybe? And, uh, and it's about the underdog uh, that won the state championship in basketball. My understanding is in Indiana at that time, everybody's in the state tournament. So uh, David can beat Goliath in the finals, and that's what happened in the movie, and it's one of my all-time favorite movies. Gene Hackman is the Norman Dale, the basketball coach, and, and Jimmy Chitwood's the star. Well, they brought back 40-year alumni from the movie to the Hickory Gym yesterday. And my friend Doug went. And he sent me a picture, and in the picture, Jimmy Chitwood was there. He'd made it back. Uh, the fellow that punched the other player was there. I, I know it's bad in, in the message. That's what I remember about the movie. But that happened. That happened. And uh, the uh, the manager that shot the under under underhand free throws. He was there. And here's what I noticed about all of them. They all looked like they had grown older. They were a little heavier, a little grayer, and it looked like the natural part of the last 40 years had, had played a role in their life, and they had aged as we have aged. When you think about elders, there has to be some maturity in the life of the leadership of the church. Uh, I, believe, I believe that comes from learning. I believe it comes from wisdom. And I believe it comes from the prayers of the people who are praying to the pastor. Looking back over the time we've had together, I've made mistakes. If I could go back and redo some things, I certainly would not do them the same way or handle people the same way. We probably would have people still here if I'd have made some decisions a little differently in how to react to them. But I'm here to tell you today that maturity is, the part, is, is a normal part of a Christian's life, and it better be part of your pastor's life and the leadership. You have to know what hill to die on, and you, know, you have to know what battles are worth fighting. And I want to tell you, the battles that are worth fighting are right here in the Word of God. They're right here in the Word of God. Now, we all have preferences. If I were to ask you what, what are some things you like, you would not necessarily like the exact same things I like. For instance, you wouldn't say, well, Brother Greg, what kind of music do you like? I like the songs that make the world. I like the remaining world. You what? I, I do. Hey, I even liked at one time a hard rock group. You ready? Lean in. You're not going to believe this. The Eagles. Huh? The, see, you all have different... You have different tastes, too. I like Southern Gospel. Some of you can't stand Southern Gospel. My, my response to you is get right with the Lord. Okay? But when it comes to the Word of God, we don't have the right to say, I'm not going to grow, and I don't care what the Word of God says. I'm not going to grow up in my faith. Right off the bat, Peter says, Maturity, respecting for the office. Folks, I'm telling you, there was a time when I grew up 
Well, you talked about a pastor. You talked about a pastor with some respect. You talked about an evangelist with some respect. And here we are in 2021, and most people don't see it. You know why? Because many pastors and many evangelists have blown it. I was asked this week to consider something at the state convention, but the only person I talked about it to about it was Janae and Tim Fisher. Prior, uh, prior to the convention and I received a call from Jeremy and he said, he said Greg we're, we're, you're the guy you're the guy and I said, you know, in light of everything that's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention Ohio Baptist we want to create a sexual abuse task force and you're the guy rather than my little selfish, finite picture. That maybe God wants to do something bigger than me or bigger than us or bigger than you. There's got to be some maturity when it comes to the things of God. It's where we get the word presbyter or presbyter, presbyterian, a senior, often mentioned as a member of the Sanhedrin. But yet there's another word. Okay, wait, chapter 5. The first word in verse 2. New King James says, shepherd. Your translation may say, feed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you. The second word is shepherd, poimino. The shepherd is to feed the flock of God. Uh, there was a day when all of those church growth books were coming out and how to be a strong church and how to be a mega church. And it came down to, listen, the church needs somebody to be a CEO, somebody that's a rancher that drives its people the direction you want to go. And, and then that, that ran its course for a little while. And then people started saying, well, what's the definition of a shepherd? A shepherd. You know, in 2013, you let me go to the Holy Land and I told you I saw some real shepherds but they look nothing like I thought they looked. I thought they should look like the ones we put in our Christmas pageant. Long flowing gowns, shepherd's staff, maybe a head wrap. Now that's a shepherd, isn't it? The shepherds I saw had on Nike t-shirts and gym shoes. I'm not, I'm not making that up. And the guide said most likely those shepherds are in the same family. That's a father and his boys. 
because he was a shepherd and they will be a shepherd. Now, what does a shepherd do? I want, I want you just to jot these down. You can go ahead and lay all those out there, Christy. A shepherd feeds, a shepherd protects, a shepherd guides, a shepherd leads, and a shepherd should pray for his sheep. Amen? Now, I prayed for you today. Did, did you pray for me? Did you pray for me as my friend Johnny in uh, Phoenix City, Alabama, prayed for me this morning? I want you to mark your Bible here, and I want you to turn to what is probably the most familiar passage of Scripture in church and out of church, Psalm 23. Mark your Bible. And I just want to remember a, a little bit about the shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The shepherd has what we need. I shall not want. The Lord has what you need this morning. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you need to be saved. If you're here and you're a Christian, you know Christ, and maybe you're saying, Brother Greg, I just don't sense any joy in my life as a Christian. You need to be obedient. You need to repent of sin and, and just live obediently. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by the still waters. He restores my soul. The Lord gives me rest. And in a world that's looking for rest, I'm telling you, it gets crazy. It gets crazy. Now, I know this doesn't happen to any of you, but do you ever fall asleep in your chair at home? You know what I'm talking about. Your chair. You know what I've noticed? I'm not the only one who falls asleep in my chair now. Renee falls asleep in her chair. And you get some of the best sleep you've ever had in your life. I mean, you are resting, only to be awakened by her saying, hey, let's go to bed. And you go to bed, and you never rest again. Oh, man, I, I, I hear you. I'm hearing you this morning. And you're wondering, I mean, we take things to help us sleep, and then we wake up sleepy, and we know we've been asleep, but we've not rested the Bible says the shepherd, the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus, gives us what we need, and he gives us real rest. Now, here's another thing he gives us. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me. The good shepherd gives me good instructions and good direction. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about, men? When you ask your wife to pull something up on the GPS and she's feeding you instructions, and that's not good enough for us, so we yank the phone away from them so we can look at the directions ourselves. And then she knows we don't know anything about it when we start moving the phone upside down and sideways. We're lost. The good shepherd gives us good directions. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Listen to me. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you'll never walk a day by yourself again. And even though it may feel like the walls of life are falling around you, the Good Shepherd has your hand because he will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. The preacher was on the way to the cemetery, had his little kids in the back seat. They had lost their mother. They were devastated. The preacher was devastated. What am I going to do? How am I going to raise these kids? 
They couldn't understand death. They couldn't understand why God would take mom. And all the preacher could think about came to him as a truck went by. And he said, look at that truck. Would you, be, would you rather be hit by the truck or the shadow of the truck? And they said, oh, Dad, the shadow. And he said, why? Because the shadow can't hurt anybody. Folks, I'm telling you, when you have the good shepherd holding your hand, he's calling the shots. He's calling the shots in your life. But he doesn't stop there. He says, I'll fear no evil, for thy rod and staff comfort me. He protects us. He prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He blesses. He shows favor. He anoints our head with oil. My cup runs over. He blesses my life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The good shepherd keeps his promise. He keeps his promise that as a child of God, we will be with him. So go back to 1 Peter. That's, that's who Peter's writing about. He's, he's, he's writing about this elder, this shepherd's heart, who wants to feed, protect, guide, lead, who will pray for his people. But there's a third word. Verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. Circle the word overseer. It's where we get the word bishop. Oftentimes it's defined by administrative ministry. There are pastors who are very gifted in that area. Some staffs include an administrative pastor. That's what he does. But pastoring a local church involves all three of these things. Uniquely different, but yet serving the same function. Peter says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight or being an overseer. And then he says, not by compulsion, nor by dishonest gain. So you have elders, you have shepherds, you have the overseer, and they all come down to the fact that the pastor should have the heart of a shepherd. The heart of a shepherd. H.B. Uh, London, uh, who I believe is James Dobson's cousin. I believe H.B. London has passed away. He was a pastor, Nazarene pastor, and then he worked, went to work for Focus on the Family. And... Uh, Man, I used to love to hear him teach, and we went down to North Fairfield Baptist Church, and he was there instructing some pastors, and one of my favorite books is called Heart of a Great Pastor by him, and I took that book with me, and one of the favorite chapters in that book is entitled Bloom Where You're Planted. You know what? There's been a lot of pride in the Camden community, in the Preble Shawnee community. Uh, last night, like many had the privilege to go to Trotwood, Madison and watch Shawnee play in the Elite Eight, one step away from the Final Four football playoffs. And even though we got beat, it's been a great year, a lot to be proud of. And my spiritual son-in-law said to me, boy, if I was going to rob a bank in Camden, I'd do it tonight. And what he was talking about was there were so many people there. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that God put us here. 
And I know that sometimes as a church, I don't mean to and don't want to. I might lose the heart of a shepherd from time to time. Forgive me when I act that way. But the Bible says when you really love somebody, when you really love something, you don't do it by compulsion. You don't do it because you have to. You do it because you get to. This morning when you got up, now I know you kids, you had to come. Your parents made you. Amen. You may say, Brother Greg, you're an old stick in the mud. I'm telling you there will come a day when you will thank God you had parents that made you come to church and you were. So buck them all you want on Sunday morning. The devil works overtime. Parents, you hoe the line and say, we will worship the Lord. As for me and my house. There will come a day when I can't control your decision. Right now I can get up and get ready. How about a little help? Anybody? Amen? We went through it with our kids. Uh, I remember as a boy trying to sleep in and make my mom and dad think I had died in my bed. Don't come wake me up for church. And then dad would turn on Rise When the Rooster Crows by Moon Mullins, bluegrass music on Sunday morning. And, and up we would get. I think I got up from the misery of, of listening to it. But then I, I like bluegrass today. He didn't warp me. And you're not going to warp your kids doing the right thing. And my prayer is that when they become parents and get married, they'll recognize, you know what, maybe mom and dad weren't so crazy. Maybe I need to get my kids in church. Amen? Not always spiritually mature. Don't always have the heart of a shepherd. Sometimes we do things administratively we may not have done or wish we could do over. But the pastor has to have the heart of a shepherd. That's when good health takes place. And when good health takes place, let me tell you something, the sheep will follow the characteristics of the shepherd. Not by compulsion, not because I have to, but because I get to. And nor for dishonest gain, uh, your translation may say filthy lucre. That means dirty money. And it's interesting that, as he mentions the heart of a shepherd, he goes into this overseer role of a bishop, administrative. Listen to me. Bishop leadership is not dictatorship. It doesn't mean that you treat everybody like employees. And, and, and now, listen, there are staff in the church, but you can't, make it, you, you can't make volunteers do anything. Anybody want to say amen? They're volunteers. But I'm telling you, when we have the heart of a shepherd, when we're growing in our own spirit, we will want to be part of the team. We'll want to honor God. We'll want to do what's best for the glory of God. I love that, don't you? And it's interesting that Peter closes his letter, 1 Peter, with this challenge and reminder to leadership. Verse 3, and... and you don't do it by compulsion nor dishonest gain, verse 3, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you. But how do you lead? By example. You lead by example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, who's that? Jesus. Look at me. Do you know this morning that Jesus is coming? You say, Brother Greg, Paul was looking for the return of Christ. He was. Jesus is still coming. We're closer than anybody in history. 
to the coming of Christ. You say, and I'd like to say everybody sitting in here today believes that. Maybe you're here and you're saying, I don't believe it. Then here's what you're saying. I'm going to roll the dice, and when I die, I hope God's not there. And you and I as Christians are saying, the Bible says, when I take my last breath, he'll be waiting. He'll be waiting. So the Bible mentions a crown. Verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Now, you know the Bible mentions crowns for a believer. Several are mentioned in Scripture. The first one is called the imperishable crown. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25, And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown, a crown that will not disappear, a crown that will not lose any value. You know, when Pete Maravich was named college basketball player of the year, he received a trophy that was six foot tall, five inches and one quarter. Think about that. Pete Maravich said that trophy has, has been in my attic for a long time because that's what trophies do. They collect dust. He's talking about a perishable crown. But thanks be to God, Paul was writing and he was helping them to be reminded of like the Olympic Games crowning. That it's fleeting. It's fleeting. You know when Michael Phelps won all of his gold medals? Many of you can remember that. He, he was just beating everybody in the pool. And this generation forgot about somebody named Mark Spitz, who all of us remembered when he was beating everybody. Why? Because crowns perish. And Paul says there's an imperishable crown for the believer in Jesus Christ. But there's another, 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 19. Listen carefully. For what is our hope? For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Now let me read it again. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ? Most believe they're talking about a crown for those who lead others to Christ. Is it not even you? Is it not even you? You might be here today and say, Brother Greg, I've never led anybody to Christ. Listen, don't you stop sharing. Because we believe it's the King of glory, the Holy Spirit of God, that convicts and does the saving. God just wants to use you. He wants to use your mouth. He wants to use your heart. He wants to use your shepherd's heart to share. Listen, folks. Anita, I don't know how long ago it was we started the mill. Do you remember what year it was? I bet it's close to 20. We didn't start a Thanksgiving Day meal so that it would be hard on everybody else to have to make a decision about, are you going to take care of your family and do your family holiday, or are you going to come to church? And if you don't come to church, you don't love Jesus. We didn't do that because of that. We did it because we recognized there were hungry people in our community and that we had church family that might be alone on Thanksgiving. That's the only reason. And year after year after year, God has blessed, and we've been able to provide meals for people 
on Thanksgiving Day. The heart of God for His glory. You'll say, well, we didn't get one result. We didn't, we didn't have one addition to our church because of the meal we served on Thanksgiving Day. That's not our call. It's God's call. Our job is to feed hungry people. It's the Holy Spirit of God that draws. And I'm telling you, uh, listen, of all of those invitations that went to those kids, I pray that there will be at least one mom and dad that look at that and say, we didn't know what we were going to do, and thank God, here's the answered prayer. And by the way, we're going to stick something on every container that leaves this church that has the hope that can be found in Jesus Christ. Because people are looking. Listen, you can put food in somebody's belly and they can still die lost. But a hungry man physically can be saved and live forever. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of the gospel. There's another crown, James chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. The Bible says that God gives you an off-ramp when temptation surfaces. Now, here's the question. Do we take the exit more than we give in to temptation? When Stacy was learning how to drive, that's always an experience teaching your daughter how to drive. She is very cautious. She still is. When you get, if you were to borrow her car, I guarantee you, you couldn't get under the wheel because she sits so close. You have to move the seat back first. And I began to tell her, Stace, when you get on an interstate, to me, one of the most important things is you've got to get into the flow of the traffic. So you have to build your speed up. You have to get up to speed with the traffic. Now, here's the illustration. You all know what it's like when you're in the right lane and merging traffic's coming on the interstate. If you're with me, say amen. You also know what it's like, that uncomfortable feeling of knowing, should I slow down, should I speed up, or should I move over and give them room to get on? Are you with me? I find it just fine to move over and make a way. Renee would be one to say, I can't believe you're doing this. And she just might make a hand on you. And just get back into the groove and go forward. You're saying, Brother Greg, what are you saying? I'm saying I'm married to a pit bull is what I'm saying. Folks, listen, listen. When we talk about the crown of life. You watch what God does in your life and my life when we start saying yes to Jesus and no to sin. Now, don't get me wrong. You're not saved by your works. But a Christian's life should be different because of Jesus, because of his work on the cross. And you just watch what happens in your life when you start taking a little more of the world's advice and start trusting Jesus. And when that temptation surfaces, you decide to be obedient and do what's right for Jesus, you watch what begins to happen in your life. You say, Brother Greg, oh, you're starting to sound like some of these health and wealth guys. No, I'm telling you, folks, 
Christians are living beneath their privilege because we just give in to the first sign of sin and wonder why life's defeated, why it's not fun being a Christian. The the most joyous people in the world should be us. But yet, sadly, some of the most miserable people we see can be somebody who names the name of Christ. So there's the crown of life. Oh, I love this one, 2 Timothy 4.8, the crown of righteousness. Finally, there's laid up for me, Paul said to Timothy, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You know our righteousness is only in Jesus Christ, and when you ask Christ to forgive you of your sin, when you give your life to Jesus, when you surrender your life to Jesus, the Bible says the crown of righteousness will be yours because of Christ. And then in chapter 5, verse 4, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive, who's he talking to? Preachers. The crown of glory that does not fade away. Who for? The faithful shepherd. This church has had some faithful shepherds. Amen, Pearl? Some faithful shepherds. And I praise God for that. What are we going to do with those crowns? Revelation 4.10 says, The 24 elders fall down. I believe 24 elders represent the church. They fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Simply acknowledging that he's worthy. He's worthy. You see, when we follow godly leadership, we'll keep our eyes on the Lord. We'll be consistent. We'll be unselfish. We'll we'll not be seeking the spotlight. And when you continue to read in this chapter some of the most quoted passages in times of distress, look at verse 6 and 7. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Verse 8, so be watchful, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So the whole thrust of 1 Peter was stand, persecution's coming. And persecution is not just coming from the outside world that you're in as a Christian, it's coming from a devil that wants to destroy your life. I'm telling you, If we could see the results of our sin before we did it, we'd never do it. If we could see the consequence of our action before we did it, we'd never do it. But that's not the way the devil plays. He plays uh, through demons, and he plays through lies. He plays through lies. He never comes in with his part of the bargain. Why? Because he is a liar. So as Peter concludes, I believe he simply says, Look, look to the Lord, love people around you, live in light of his return, and learn to share the hope that you have because of his love for you. That's the gospel of Christ. That's the gospel. I want you to stand. I want you to bow your